Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from John's first letter, the fifth chapter. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves God loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out God's commands. This is love for God to obey God's commands, and God's commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water, but without water, and is a spirit that testifies, because the spirit is truth. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we gather to hear your word read and proclaimed today. Speak to us. Speak to us not only through the preach, not only through the written word, but through the liturgy. Those things that we pray from what we hear in the music to realize that you have got the whole world in your hands and always have. So while we are gathered in worship, in this place, in our homes, united hearts around the globe, that we realize that we are called, that you urge, you yearn for us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So as looking at this text for this morning and looking at it, we've been looking at this first epistle of John for this whole Easter season. Two ideas come to mind for me. One is this idea of a flywheel, this, this gigantic wheel that's full of kinetic energy. It is, but at the moment of inertia, it's not moving. But when it starts to turn, it begins to turn faster and faster and faster, and then it can't be stopped unless there is a brake applied, because it becomes this perpetual motion machine. That's the first thing that comes to mind. The second one is something that I learned in one in a class or a seminar or something that I took on counseling is to pay attention to the words that people use. Pay attention to the stories that they tell, the things that they repeat, because they repeat certain words or certain stories, it begins to give you an idea a little bit about their lives. Maybe it was the best of times when life was perfect, or maybe it was a time of trauma when life wasn't. If they keep telling the same stories over and over again, pay attention to those words because they have profound meaning. 
they have great importance for what the person is trying to tell you. So John's letter to the early church, it bears testimony. His whole point of writing it is to bear testimony to the power of the resurrection. And he emphatically roots our idea of discipleship, our practice of faith, our following of Jesus Christ. He roots that in the love of God found in Jesus. And in the five chapters that we have looked at, in all five chapters of this letter, if you go back and you decide this afternoon, I think I want to go back at the beginning and start over again. If we look at those five chapters, invariably he comes back to the same point. He uses the word love over and over again. That love is the essence of Jesus' ministry. It's his mission, his purpose, his very reason for being. And thus it is a mandate to us. This idea of love is a mandate to us. It's as if he stole the page right out of J James's letter to the early church where he says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. It's as if John is trying to tell us, dadgummit, just love. Just love people. And so today's passage is no different. I mean, look how many times the word love is used in it. Anyone who loves God loves God's children. And in loving God's children, you do it by loving God and carrying out God's commands. And I love this next line. God's commands are not burdensome. Put a pen on that phrase. God's command is not burdensome. We'll come back to that in a minute. But see, this idea of this idea of love, this is the victory which conquers everything. Love conquers all. Love paves the way for transformation to happen. And so what John is postulating is sort of flywheel of transformation that we may find ourselves here, but if we begin to know who we are, we can understand our relationship with God and then our relationship with each other, and then we begin to practice that, all of a sudden the wheel of transformation begins to take off and our witness to the world continues over and over again. And this is what John hopes for us. This is what God hopes for you and for me, is that we would practice our faith because that's all based on this idea of love and that in that, that love would conquer everything, all the ills of the world, all of our fears. But it starts with understanding who we are and who we belong to. So one of the great things about the information age is that everything is at our, hand, at our hands, right here in the palm of our hands. If you have your phone with me, I could ask you, hey, tell me about such and such. And if I said, one of you Google it, it'd be great to see whose hand came up first that could tell me exactly what we were looking for. So because of this, because of all this interconnectedness, people are taking all these old databases and they're scanning them and transcribing them to make them searchable. So Ancestry.com, for example, has ballooned over the last 20 years. And so people that once thought, you know, I really should study the family story, but I don't even know where to start. Now you can start late at night in your jammies right there at the computer. And so all of a sudden this quest of, of, of uh, budding genealogists wanting to know who we are, where our families come from, what is our family story, I think some of us secretly hoping that we're going to find out that we are related to European royalty or that maybe our ancestors were vast explorers or something else besides just regular Joes and Janes of the world. We want to know who we are and where we come from. That's our family story. We want to know the bigger picture 
of our lineage besides just what stories have been handed down from our great-grandparents, our great-grandparents, our own moms and dads. But John reminds us, and what I love about John's letter, he reminds us that we are part of a much larger family, one that dawns back much beyond bloodline, much beyond anything else. We are in God's family. That we are God's children, this greater family that we're in, and that there's power in that. I mean, let us never doubt that there's power in being called children of God, because God who ordered the stars, we're in that family. God who led the Israelites out of captivity across the Red Sea and into the promised land, we are in that family God who promised that no matter what, you will not be overthrown. What I love about Isaiah 43 is that while the waters may roar and the seas may foam and the rivers may overflow and fires may come and the earth and the mountains may shake, I will not let you fail. You may bend, but because I am right here, you will not break. That's our family, my friends. And so all of the uncertainty of the early church, John is speaking into that in this letter. He's speaking into that saying, it doesn't matter. This uncertainty is just a season. God is not going to abandon us. God is not going to leave us alone. We can survive. And I think about all the uncertainty that arounds and finds abound in our world. Whether it's in the church or whether it's in society, whether it's at home, I think about all that uncertainty, kids that are graduating from college that have yet gotten a job offer letter, uncertainty, and yet God says, you may bend, but I will not let you break because I am right there. That's the best image for us. So on this day, Mother's Day, this festival of the Christian home, as some churches celebrate it, we begin to honor our mothers and those that taught us so much in this idea of ideal parenthood. And we know what ideal love looks like, but you know what? God's love is even better than that. Even better than that. And so as we begin to understand God's love for us and we begin to lean into it, the wheel begins to turn and it begins to pick up speed and the transformation happens right here in our hearts because we know whose we are and we know how much we are loved. We begin to understand the depth of God's love for us just because of who we are. We realize we are loved more than we can ever imagine. But once we begin to comprehend that love, once that wheel begins to turn a little bit, we begin to recognize that we must love all of God's children. We must love it. It's a time where the wheel begins to pick up speed for us because transformation is not only in our eyes, but it begins to see how we open our eyes, how we begin to see people differently for the first time. I mean, imagine if we could just erase all of our preconceived notions about how people dress or how they wear their hair or about their dialect or their accent and all the differences that we sort of have built up. And instead of just using those to judge people, we use those to celebrate the differences in creation, the differences in the different strings and fabrics, much like the different colors in this stole. What if we saw that as something to celebrate, but instead with eyes open for the first time, With this clarity, we begin to see people as God sees them. We begin to see each other as God sees us. And realize that each other's successes are our successes. 
each other's fears and failures or our fears and failures. Each other's sadness, pain, and hurt is ours. See, when that transformation happens, we begin to realize that there is something more than just us in the world. When I was studying economics and economic theory, one of the things we used to talk about was this whole idea of the theory of the firm. And we began to talk about things like inputs or units of labor. And so like, no, if you have those, somebody, if you just added extra units of labor, units of labor, you know what units of labor are, right? They're employees. They're people. They're living human beings just like you and me. So let's, let's, you know, let's humanize this argument. Let's humanize the economic model. When you add inputs, when you add elements of labor, when you add employees, you're adding people to your company. Yes, there is an overhead connected to it, but how you handle that overhead, how you treat those employees affects how your company performs, doesn't it? So often we want to think about life as, and each other as just other people, as units. They're not units. They're flesh and blood, just like you and me. And so we begin to realize that when we think about this in terms of an economic model, that we treat our employees well, that they will perform and help the company succeed. Think about the integration that happens in the firm. Think about how it happens in the life of the church or in the society around us. When we treat each other like we're valued members of the team, the church is stronger and better. We saw that in Paul's writing about the body of Christ, but we see that also in society around us. And so John wraps this whole idea up of people and loving God's children and this idea of love. And so we love God's children and we carry out God's commands. The world is a better place. We see each other as valuable to our eyes, no matter what differences we may have. The world is a better place. We lift each other up. The world is a better place. And the wheel begins to spin even faster. As it begins to spin faster, we look back at what John wrote in verse 3. And so that leads us to this, this love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Boy, I love that. And his commands are not burdensome. Remember that pen I told you we're going to come back to? Here we are. See, it spells out everything that we need to know about how to love God and how to love God's children by simply keeping his commands. Now think about Jesus' ministry. What did he say? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, the world was just weighed down with so much stuff. They were straining to try to figure out the way, straining with all the law, straining with all of the rules to follow, straining with everything. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus did the heavy lifting on the cross but he set the example for us. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And this is what he says, I love this. Remember it says, keep his commands. And, Jesus, and that's what John says, to love his children is to keep his commands. And Jesus says, a new command I give to you. There's this, it's only one. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. And when you think about what John writes, that all we have to do is keep his commands and they're not burdensome. What Jesus said is that. 
My command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. And that's it. It's not a law library full of rules to follow. It's not a long list of things that we have to check off. It's not an impossible list of tasks to perform. It's just this one simple command. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, what we know about love, what we know about kindness is it's not a burden to carry. As a matter of fact, it's a joy to practice. It becomes part of that flywheel, if you will. It's like all habits. The more that we do them, the more we rinse and repeat, the easier they become. I mean, think about it. If you decide that you want to get up and you want to run every morning, if you're like me, the first two mornings you do that, you ask yourself, why did I want to do this? This is nuts. But by the third morning... It's not so bad. The fourth and fifth, it's not so bad. Because you do it over and over again. It gets easier the more you do it. Well, guess what? If we open our eyes more, it compels us to act more. And we can't stop the perpetual motion that continues as we continue to do more good in the world around us. As we love our neighbor one step at a time, the more we practice it, the more fun it is, the more joy we get out of it, the more it happens. And guess what? The faith, the faith flywheel of transformation takes off. The more we share that love, the more we love our neighbor, the more we can't stop loving and sharing that love with everyone to meet, the more our hearts change and the more it becomes a catalyst for change for those around us. Because your friends will notice this about you. They will notice that you're different. They will notice that you enjoy life more. They notice that we actually enjoy being around each other and doing good. And then they want to know, what is it that you've got? And so those of us that are stagnant in our own faith and practicing love, we start to do it as well. And those that haven't practiced it before, those that don't know about the love of God, they want to know what it is that we have. And so they ask and their hearts are open up. Their eyes are open as if scales have fallen away and they see their neighbors just as they see themselves as children of God. And so then we begin to look at the issues that face our society and we begin to think maybe what we need to talk about are things that actually make a big difference in the world around us. Things like housing first or harm reduction or universal pre-K so that everyone has a chance of succeeding. Those become a loving change, a catalyst for our community to lift God's children up. And that flywheel now is spinning so fast that nobody can stop it. Because love is going around and around and around. It spins so freely that everyone wants to be a part of it. See, it's no accident that when John wrote that first epistle, in those five chapters that he talked about love so much, he talked about it because love is what changed his life. Love and the power of the resurrection is what changes life. And he wants the world to experience. He wants everyone that will read that letter, that hears those words, he wants them to know that in their hearts. And our faith tells us about God's love for the world, about God's love specifically for us as individuals. But then our faith also tells us and it shows us how we are to love each other, how to open our eyes and broaden the circle a little bit more, to broaden it till all of God's children are wrapped up in it. And it compels us to show the world that love that God has 
for each and every one of us. And friends, when that happens, when that wheel of transformation begins to spin because we paid attention to the word love so many times recorded in Scripture, that's when the transformation happens. And the kingdom of God is built right here in our midst. In each of our homes, on each of our pews, in each of our workplaces, in the schools, no matter where we are, that kingdom is being built because God's love is right where you happen to be at that moment. And that's when John's mission, John's purpose for writing this letter becomes a reality. It's the greatest hope he had for the church that it would repeat over and over again the power of the resurrection through the love of God's people for each other and the world. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.